Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives, and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners. You can support the show on a one-time basis, support.greatdetectives.net. And you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month at patreon.greatdetectives.net. And I want to thank Robert, uh, who came on board as a Patreon supporter at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. And also want to thank Susanna, coming on board at the Chief of Detectives level of $30 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support. And you can join our Patreon supporters at patreon.greatdetectives.net. Now, a couple of quick announcements that I will expand upon after the episode. First of all, uh, I have entered the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio in the Podcast Awards. And in order to make the finals, I need your nomination. Go to podcastawards.com. And we are up in the Entertainment and Best Male Hosted Podcast categories. Secondly, tomorrow I will be on WOND Radio in Atlantic City between 5.30 and 6 p.m. Eastern Time. You can listen live on the air if you're in the Atlantic City area, or you can also listen online at WONDRadio.com. And again, that's tomorrow, uh, July 19th, between 5.30 and 6. All right, well, let's get into this week's episode of The Adventures of Sam Spade. The original air date, June the 15th, 1947, and the title is The Convertible Caper. Listen now to The Adventures of Sam Spade, starring Howard Duff in The Convertible Caper. Sam Spade, Detective Agency. Me, sweetheart. Sam, I knew you'd have the courage to come back and face it. Well, I'm back, Effie. What shall I face first? You didn't do something else, did you, Sam? Besides what? Besides running away with that woman in a stolen car. You're a little mixed up, Abby. The car was stolen from her. You mean it was her own car? Well, not exactly, Abby. You see, she stole it from somebody else, and then somebody stole it from her, and then I got it back for her. Well, it must have been quite a car to be worth all that trouble. Uh, it wasn't so much the car, Abby, is it? Party? Then I don't understand. Think it over, sweetheart. I'll be right down to dictate my report. <laughs> Look at you. Can't you take no for an answer? And just what do you mean by that, Miss Perrine? Walmart, I say. Wrong again, sweetheart. She said yes, I said no. Hence the scratch. I knew she was that type the minute she walked into this office. That ankle bracelet and green nail polish. Green nail polish. Well, cute colors. This one goes to homicide, Effie. Oh, not another murder, thing. What else? <sighs> Two, Detective Lieutenant Dundee from Samuel Spade. This, uh, license number 127596. Subject... The convertible caper. Dear Dundee, it had been a dull morning, but just before lunchtime, things began to brighten up. Her clothes looked like money, and what they were wrapped around looked even better. 
She eased herself into the chair I switched up for her, rattled about a thousand bucks worth of charm bracelet at me, and after she'd arranged her legs, mouth, and eyes to our mutual satisfaction, she allowed me to hear the sound of her beautiful voice. I do not know whether you will be interested in my case or not, Mrs. Stowe. What's your mind at rest, Miss Stowe? A father. Who knows? Perhaps I am merely a waste of time. My time is your time if you stay in the safe, Mrs. Stowe. Oh, you are very sympathetic, very kind. Yes. Anton, my automobile has been stolen. When and from where? Last night, after midnight, while I was checking in at the Hotel San Rafael, where I am staying... I foolishly left it parked outside with the keys in it. Have you reported us to the police? No. I suggest you do. No. No? No. Well, why not? Because I stole it from another. Obviously. No, but you do not yet know all. If the police find the card and notify the one from whom I stole it, then that one will know that I am a San Francisco. And that's bad. I think I If he finds out I am a San Francisco, then he will come here and kill me. That is why I must recover the car rapidly and without the police. You will be glad to help me. Be very pleasant, Mrs. Strata, but our cars are not exactly in my line. You wish that I... I think anybody would murder you just to steal his car. Oh, not for the car, no. Already he tried to kill me once, twice, three times. So I take the car and drive away rapidly. Away from where? Mexico, State of Chihuahua, where this pig resides who wishes to murder me. Why? He becomes a beast. He accuses me of... Look, look here on my shoulder, this guy. Well, already he cuts me with a knife. Uh-huh. Now you have seen something that changes your mind about me, huh? You see that I am confused. Why, Mrs. Strada, I never had any doubt. Oh, please. I am without friend. You would call me... Me, Charger? Yes, indeed. Well, you know your friend. In the car is sitting the pig. Hmm. Uh, what's this uh, pig's name? Pig is the only name I will honor him with. Pig. Pig. Hmm. Uh, what makes the car is this? Veronica. You know this kind of car? Yeah, it's a foreign car. I've seen a few around. This must have set the pig back several thousand bucks. Ha! He steals everything. Listen, my darling, please notice. Around here is pink. With blue fender. Uh-uh, not anymore. That's the first thing a car thief changes, the paint job. Any other uh, distinguishing marks? Yeah. Um, it has a radio. You don't say. Uh-huh. And it has two windshield wipers. Uh-huh. Well, uh, I'll buzz around, Mitya. If I find anything, I'll let you know. Uh, my fee is... Uh... Yes. Yes. Uh, that, that is something else. I have no money. Oh, that's great. That's just great. But I am sincere. You said so. Look, my darling, see this. It is worth very much. See? This little charm alone. Platinum set with diamonds. Worth very much. You will keep it until I tell you, huh? I'll be your She thrust the charm bracelet into my hand, bit me on the ear, and departed. I put a Band-Aid on it, ran some cold water over my head, poured myself a stiff slug of bourbon, and examined the bracelet. The dangle she pointed out was a white metal disc with a monogram in diamonds, two uh, vertical bars with a horizontal one on top. It was the Greek letter Pi, or the initials TT, depending on who had stolen it from whom. I knew it was at least worth my fee. I dropped it into my pocket and went out. My first stop was over on Mission. 
The sign on the building says, uh, Masterpiece Auto Painting, Joe Rembrandt, proprietor. Man, long time no see. Hello, Joe. Uh, got something you want painted? No, but I think you may have painted something I want. Damn, you know me. They drive them in the front, we spray the paint on them, and push them out the back. No questions asked. That's quite a turnover, Joe. Yeah, we're going big time. Got the exclusive now for the syndicate work in the hill. Is that right? Yeah. What are you looking for, Sam? A murder car? Could be. It's a custom job. Foreign car. Uh, the answer? Uh, here's what it looks like. Yeah. Convertible. Sure, come in this morning. Two color job. Which two colors? Canary yellow body, baby blue fenders. Well, quite a car, Sam. What a snazzy heap. Heap, huh? Yeah. Is that what you want to know? It was. Happy Herman Heap was one of the biggest used car thieves in the city. As I got off the streetcar in front of Happy Herman's lot, a flash of canary yellow paint caught my eye. I strolled down between the rows of cars and found it. Yes, sir, Heap's the name. Happy Herman Heap. Every car on this lot is in perfect mechanical condition. Take your choice. Kind of hard to choose, Herman. There's so many here. Yes, yes sir. It takes a heap of heaps to make a heap of heap. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that yellow job uh, with the blue fenders, sir? Uh, oh, yes, sir. But the, uh, the, the motor in that car, it does need some work. Now, over here... Does it run? Uh, Oh, yes, it'll run. But over now, here... this is I... more what I want. Let me try it. Uh... Sounds all right to me. Oh, idling, yes. But need some work in the transmission of the differential. Mind if I drive it around the block? Well, the mechanics were just about to work on it. Besides, uh, I'm afraid this car is more than you care to invest. Well, let me try it out anyway. Here, I'll uh, leave it apart. I reached in my pocket for Meech's charm bracelet. He took one look at it, and his expression changed. Well, well, why didn't you say so? No deposit is necessary. The car's yours. Drive it as far as you like. Thank you, Herman Heath. I took him at his word. I put the magic bracelet in my pocket, drove back to O'Farrell Street, parked in front of the San Rafael Hotel, slipped the doorman a buck to wash it for me, and went on into the lobby. Desk clerk said that Senorita Estrada had checked out 30 minutes before, leaving no address. I found the house stick in the bar and asked him for a rundown. Yeah, I remember her, Sam. Very nice dish. Any callers, Tiny? Yeah, two guys. Yeah? Went out when they came. They've been back since. Who were they? You won't believe it, Sam. One of them was Tom Tom Carey. What's he doing in San Francisco? He's wanted for murder. Well, I don't know, but there must be plenty in it if he's brought him back across the border. He's staying here? Yeah. Room 613. Mm-hmm. Do me a favor, will you, Tony? Anything at all, sir. There's a car parked outside in the loading zone here. Store it in the hotel garage for me. When you're upstairs, as far out of sight as you can get it. I went upstairs and rang the buzzer at room 613. The door was opened by a little dark-complected man with hard eyes and Indian features. There was a mean-looking knife in his hand, but he put it away at a nod from Tom Tom Carey. I could find out I was in town. Not from me, I don't know how much she told you, Sam, but if she told you this much, she was 11. It's a million-dollar case. And you know some of the things I've done for less. What's in it for me? What'd she pay you? Nothing. She left this charm bracelet in heart. Now, boss, I caught him now. Shut up, Hawkins. Give me that bracelet. Uh-uh. Watch it, Tom. Don't crowd me. I got something bigger than this, and you wouldn't be here. All right, Sam, what do you want? I want to hear you talk. 
I guess you know I've been down in Mexico, eh? I'm listening. I got a little business down there. Garage business. Running hot cars across the border in the state? <laughs> we pull them off. Little body weight, a new serial number. Like plastic surgery. Sounds like a good business. You shouldn't be neglecting it. You met the dame. She says you want to kill her. Uh, I was off my child. I scared her. I didn't mean anything. I thought I could carry her sitting around. I'll let Parko nick her shoulder a little bit. Oh, just a little bit. Yeah. I figured her wrong, you know that, yeah. If I could see her for five minutes, just to talk to her, I know it'd be okay. I can't help you, Tom Tom. I want to talk to her myself. Listen, she hasn't got a penny, only that car. She figures I'm peddling that. Not anymore. She already sold it. Some car thieves took it. She hired me to price it. Listen, maybe broke from a strange country. I'd look good for her. Here's a thousand bucks. Oh, this is so sudden, Tom. Nothing. When you see her again, give her that place for that, eh? It was a present from me. And whatever you do... Don't find that car. Okay, Tom, Tom, that's a promise. Thank you. Only one thing I don't understand. You said it was a million-dollar caper. I meant that. She's worth a million bucks to me, Stan. The girl, Tom, Tom? Or the car? I'm going to wish you had an answer to I really do. And now, back to the convertible caper. Tonight's adventure with Sam Spade. When Tom Tom Carey said a million-dollar caper, he meant just that. He never risked a rap for less than a hundred grand, and no dame that ever lived was worth more to him than a hot mink coat. If Nietzsche wasn't a million-dollar package, the car was. I didn't know what was in it, but Tom Tom, it might be diamonds, dope, smuggled Chinese, or just plain money. So I went back to the hotel garage. I climbed the long, curving ramp to the second floor and found the canary yellow De Anza convertible crowded in behind four ranks of cars at the rear of the building. We started to work on it. Nothing in the luggage trunk, nothing under the seats, under the upholstery, and the door panels, nothing anywhere. Then I got tiny silver, and the two of us went over the second time. Ah, it's a cold lead, Sam. It's not, I know it's not. Now, think, Tiny, what's different about this car? Well, solider built than most, good body of work. I don't know. Hey, here's something. What? There's a hole punched out of this fender over here. About the size of a quarter. Let me see that. Yeah, right here. It curves under, see? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. What's that you got? Sound bracelet. Did you say this dangle on here was what was cut out of that fender? Let me see. It fits. Fits even the curve. Yeah. What does it mean, Sam? The dangle on the bracelet is solid platinum. Hey, Sam, are you trying to tell me the fender's on this heap of solid platinum? You got a pocket knife, Tony? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Nice. It shines. Sam, is this a hot car? <laughs> I didn't answer him. I didn't have to. He looked in the gray-white gleam of the bracelet chime of the square of paint I'd scraped off the fender and answered the question himself. Nietzsche's convertible was convertible in more ways than one. It was about the hottest car in San Francisco as of that moment. After I'd left the garage, I tried to phone Tom Tom. He wasn't in. I had an uncomfortable feeling he was out looking for me. He was. As I stepped out of the phone booth, there was a rush of air past my left ear. A knife stuck in the wood less than an inch west of it. I came out in the street and found to see him duck around the corner into an alley. I ran after him. I followed him and stood him up against the wall. Let me go. Let me go. I cut you down. What do you know about that car? What do you know about that car? 
Come on, talk, or you get more of this. Uh, I don't know nothing. They don't tell me nothing. Where's Meacher? Uh, I don't know. Uh, Meacher don't know nothing either. Only Tom Tom and... Tom Tom and who else? I don't talk no more. They cutting you in? I don't need no cut. The boss, he pays me good. Forty pesos. Sometimes more. Work for me and I'll cut you in. I cut you to pieces. The boss treats me good. Sure, you do all the dirty work. There's any trouble, you'll take the rap. What means rap? They put you in a little room and squirt gas in you. You fall dead. Gas? Tom Tom do this? He does indeed. Venga. Tom, I take you to see the man. Su nombre es Felix. I think he will be very happy to see you. The place Paco took me to was about as high on Russian Hill as you can get. The house was old, faced in brownstone, and had a high iron fence around it. On the gate was the nameplate, H.H. Lovelace. When I opened it to go in, I noticed that Paco was no longer with me. Oh, Mr. Spade, come in, come in. The gray-haired gentleman who greeted me was wearing a wing collar, a carnation, and a very distinguished air. I could hardly believe it, but he was definitely, beyond the shadow of a doubt, none other than the one and only, Happy Herman Heath. Well, Mr. Spade, I see that you're surprised. I'm overwhelmed, uh, Mr. Heath. Lovelace. Lovelace, that is the correct name. For my uh, avocation, I selected my first and second names, the H.H., you know. My full name is Herman Heath Lovelace. About that car, Mr. Spade. Uh, yeah, about that. I must own that you outwitted me. I was rather proud of my little device, the disc on the charm bracelet, you know. When you showed it to me at the, uh, my business establishment, I naturally thought you were authorized to fix the car. Yeah, naturally. However, I'm not averse to enterprise in a young man. And I'm prepared to pay for my blunder. You said a million I still couldn't accept, Mr. Lovelace. Oh, why not? I was hired to recover that car for my client, if not mine to sell. Well, it's certainly not hers. I don't care whose it is. All I know is that my client's life is in danger and it has uh, something to do with that car. Mr. Estrada? Yeah. Excuse me one moment. Please, Hello, Papa. That's all she said. Then she stood there looking at me in that way that made you not care who she was double-crossing or why. Then she turned to uh, Lovelace, alias Herman Heath. How much does he know? Alas, everything, I fear. He has agreed to our terms? Yes. Good. I must have my bracelet back now, Tom. Sure, it's right here in my... I reached in my coat pocket for the charm bracelet she'd given me to keep for. It wasn't there. It wasn't any of my pockets. I guessed that it was in one of Paco's pockets. Nietzsche watched me fumbling, her eyes blazing with anger. Fool, you have lost it. We are helpless without them. I thought it was the car you wanted. Please, please, one thing at a time. I suggest that we first gain possession of the car. Yes, Lovelace, you are right. First, the car. Ah, yes. This is the car at last. A princess in vulgar raiment, but still a princess. No royal coach carrying a king to a coronation ever held such riches. I oh, talk too much. Oh, I do. Well, take your place at the wheel, Mitchell. We shall drive out of here into a splendid future. Uh, after you, Mr. Spade. No, no, Mr. Heath. After you. Uh, yeah. uh, ironic, isn't it, that of all my varied interests, I've never learned to drive a car. That are too buckle, viejo. You uh, seem kind of shaky, Mitchell. You sure you can handle the car down the ramp? I'm very good driver, Wapo. Major, stop, put on your brakes. There's a man coming up the ramp. It's Keith. It's Keith. Oh. 
before I got to him. As I leaned over him, I saw the bracelet lying beside his hand. I picked it up and walked back to the car. Nietzsche and Herman Heath Lovelace were sitting in stony silence, glaring at each other. Is he dead? Yeah. Was the bracelet on him? I didn't look. Lovelace, go and frisk him. Must I? It's very distasteful to me. Uh, Come, Mr. Spade. You fool. We trust this detective. Go on. Very well. Get in, Sam. Get in. We leave him here. What's the matter? Is something wrong? Oh, uh, nothing at all. Come back here. This is an outbreak. I mean, come back here, I Please, Harper. A cigarette. Sure, sure. Here you are. Gracias. De nada. <laughs> I, uh... I saw you pick up the bracelet. I meant that you should share with me. That is why I gave you the bracelet in the first place. I liked you. Couldn't have been because you were safe as long as Tom Tom didn't know where the bracelet was, and if you had to kill somebody for it, it would be me. Please, Carita, what does it matter now? We are together, we have the car, we have the bracelet, and the chick is dead. That's what worries me. Oh, surely you do not think I meant to kill him. Of course not. Your foot just slipped. You stepped in the gas by accident. Yes, yes, that was you. It won't stick, sweetheart. Not with me. But with the police? My story won't help you. I don't know enough. Oh? Then I tell you everything. I was with Tom Tom for a year. I hated him 365 days. I tried to run away. Always that Paco came out and brought me back. Then, Senor Lovelace came with the car. Senor Lovelace had much money, but he could not take it from the country. So he bought, stole, platinum. Some he received from refugees who had sent their fortunes abroad in that form. But there was no safe way to get it across the border. So for a cut, Tom Tom had the platinum made into fenders and welded onto the car. Why was the bracelet so important? It was too dangerous for Lovelace to bargain directly. Tom Tom was to get the money for the platinum and give the little piece of the fender as a token. Yeah. Lovelace would know who to give the car to when they showed it to him. That's why he let me drive the car off a lot, huh? <laughs> I don't care, darling, even if you try to see this. Now we understand each other, no? You are tough, too. Tougher than Tom Tom, I think. Well. Now we have everything for ourselves, you and me. What do we care for the others, huh? You make a good pitch, sweetheart. You look beautiful while you're making it. But I don't like your driving. What do you mean? Pull over. I'm driving the seat back to the city. No. I said pull over. I won't let you do it. I don't care what happens. Take it easy. You want to kill us both? Sure, I will kill us both. We die together or we live together. Yes or no? You're not. Answer me. The answer is no. Bueno, you will see I mean what I say. The fog thinned out as we rounded a bend in the road. There was a point ahead with a sheer 300-foot drop to the sea. She jerked the car away from the pavement and steered straight at it. I grabbed the wheel and twisted it. I skidded on gravel and slid sideways toward the cliff. I got the door open and tried to yank her out with me. She held on and kicked me until I rolled free. She didn't look very beautiful when I saw her for the last time. And the flashy convertible was a pile of junk. Very expensive junk, but junk all the same. 
I understand the federal men have confiscated the platinum and are holding Lovelace for questioning. I doubt if he'll crack. Nobody can embarrass a used car salesman. Period. End of report. Sam, do you really like this racket we're in? I hate it. So do I. Don't let ever go into any other racket. It's a promise, sweetheart. Why, I'll never know. Good night. Good night, sweetheart. The Adventures of Sam Spade, Dashiell Hammett's famous private detective, was written for radio by Bob Coleman and Gil Dowd, with musical direction by Lud Gluskin. Sam Spade is played by Howard Duff. Lorene Tuttle is Effie. Tonight's program was directed by Elliot Newell. Welcome back. Well, what a fun episode. Great mystery characters. I love the Howard Heap character. Given the dearth of Spade episodes, it was interesting that uh, we actually get two episodes in a row. Also, this is an early directorial effort by Elliot Lewis. Uh, Martin Grahams, in his book, The Radio Adventures of Sam Spade, notes that William Spear was on vacation, so Elliot Lewis got to uh, direct this episode. He had worked with Howard Duff on the Armed Forces Radio Services programs during the war and was also the star of uh, Voyage of the Scarlet Queen and then went on to have a very strong creative career in radio, including his uh, work behind the scenes on Broadway is my beat, and later as director of Suspense for a few years. As promised, some uh, more expansive discussion on the two items we mentioned at the start of the program. First of all, uh, once again, uh, as I said on social media, I've thrown my crumpled fedora into the ring for the podcast awards, and right now um, I've registered, and we're trying to get to to the finalist, and that will be based on the number of nominations that we receive. So you just go to podcastawards.com, nominate the program in the entertainment and male-hosted podcast categories. And I'm also, as an aside, uh, supporting... uh, the Malicious Life podcast, which sponsored uh, our program about for like seven or eight episodes five or six years ago. A really good uh, cybersecurity podcast in the technology category. But uh, I do encourage you to go to Podcast Awards. Uh, you For this phase, just one uh, nomination in each category. Uh, we have... Uh, Posted about this on social media, so had some comments. Uh, The Butcher writes on YouTube, Registered and voted. Don't let winning or losing of the award be validation. Every listener of this podcast is thankful and appreciated of you, Andrea, and Andrew. Well, thanks so much. I appreciate that. Of course, he's uh, correct. Uh, You can't let winning or losing or making the finals uh, really determine how you think about 
uh, your program. Uh, one thing with these awards is you have very limited control over the outcome, particularly since you don't control what your competitors do and how engaged they are in various social medias or the size of their audience. I've always viewed these things as an opportunity to promote the podcast to hopefully uh, be uh, seen and connect with uh, some new listeners who might be looking through the podcast awards ballot and check us out. Obviously, it'd be great to win and to have that as something to use to promote the podcast, but we've been in the podcast awards, I think, a couple of times on Great Detectives and once on a political podcast way back when. And so I'm, you know, well-versed in not getting too worked up if the results don't go my way. But a good reminder, thanks so much. And again, you can nominate us uh, through the end of uh, July, July 31st. If we do make it to the finals, I will be sure to let everyone know what the rules are. I think a few years back they did daily voting where you could vote every day, you know, for a finalist, but I will see what the rules will be for 2022 uh, if we make it to the finals. So appreciate everyone's support in that. And then, of course, the interview on WOND Radio on Off the Press with uh, guest host Dave Delancey. And again, this will air in the 5.30 to 6 p.m. time slot, live on WOND Radio if you are in that area. And you can also listen to it on the website. Unfortunately, there will be no repeat. Uh, I've pre-recorded the interview. We had a heck of a time, you know for uh, Dave and I to connect for this. He was supposed to interview me back in June, but the day we had scheduled was the day that I found out I had COVID. And then we rescheduled only for my wife to get COVID. But it was nice to get this done. We covered some interesting ground. It was good because I had thought about some of the questions he was asking me as I just recorded the commentary for uh, Season 1 for the Volume 1 podcast over at uh, volume1.greatdetectives.net. So it was a good time, and uh, I hope you can uh, check it out. It's one of my rare radio interviews as a reclusive podcaster uh, who is a man of mystery. Cloaked in it, in fact. No, I just not don't have a lot of radio uh, invitations, actually, so it was fun to do this. All right. Now we turn to listener comments and feedback. And we have this comment from George. Hi, Adam. I wanted to thank you for uh, one of your more recent additions, the Sam Spade shows. Generally well done and enjoyable. After listening to the Calcutta Trunk Caper, I just had to remark on a few points. While French and Cockney accents on radio shows were uniformly pretty lame, nothing compares to the cringe-worthy Russian-type accents, complete with the spitting at the mention of someone's name and ridiculously overdone at all levels. Uh, these actors often make uh, shows hard to endure at all. The Man Called X was one of the worst in an otherwise great program. It must have been a comedic trope at the time, but it's just awful in any sort of dramatic show. Ugh. 
Uh, I know uh, bits of these shows may be missing, especially intros, but unless I've missed it, this is a rare show that doesn't start out announcing the star Howard Duff. Isn't that a bit unusual even then? Uh, Just curious. Anyway, thanks for bringing yet another uh, enjoyable program for us to enjoy. And it's from George in Georgia. Thanks so much, George. Regarding the Russian accents, I definitely know what you're talking about. Certainly there were comedic uh, impressions in this regard. The Mad Russian was a regular uh, feature of the Eddie Cantor uh, program and voiced by Burt Young. In many ways, this sort of uh, accent uh, for Russians would continue. Uh, I've seen some going into the early 1960s on television. I think it's one of those things that you kind of just get used to if you're into Golden Age entertainment. Because those sort of approaches to Russian and Eastern European type accents are done across entertainment media, whether you're talking movies or radio or film. And I think part of it may be due to the general public not having near the exposure to real accents from those areas, and even uh, actors not having that same exposure. Not to say that there wasn't any, you know, Russian, Eastern European folks around, but it wasn't at the same level as, for example, uh, British accents, you know, and I'm not talking, you know, the Cockney, but people who talk kind of in the RP, received pronunciation sort of uh, British accent. There were a few American actors who could really do decent British accents, which is why you had a program like Pursuit, which was, a, you know, essentially a British mystery program recorded in Hollywood, with mostly American actors in it. Although Ben Wright was probably the best Peter Black, and he, of course... Uh, was British. It is interesting uh, today, uh, I listen to, as I mentioned frequently, uh, quite a few of the big Finnish audio dramas. They often include some interesting accents from outside the UK. Now, occasionally they'll have someone who has that as a native accent, but I've heard quite a few behind-the-scenes recordings where they talk about how they, you know, found... how to do an accent they had no familiarity with, and the way that they did it was going on YouTube and watching videos of native speakers talking so they could pick up what the appropriate accent would be. So, in the information age, actors have a lot more resources to produce accents that are more true to how people actually talk. And, of course, I think audiences are a little bit more savvy about it as well. Regarding Howard Duff's name, I wouldn't say that it was unheard of to not mention the star in the opening. I think For example, uh, Mr. Keene, they did not mention the lead actor in the opening. And it was something that Martin Grahams noted in in his uh, book, which I've cited already, that in the initial episodes, Duff was only uh, acknowledged or identified in the closing credits. But thanks so much for the uh, question, George, and so glad to hear that you're enjoying Sam Spade. I know this has been a, a series folks have been asking for for quite a while. 
All right, well, uh, now let's go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. Thank you to Garrick, Patreon supporter since January 2018, currently supporting the program at the rookie level of $2 or more per month. Again, thanks so much for your support, Garrick. And that will actually do it for today. If you are enjoying this podcast, I do encourage you to rate and review it wherever you download your podcast from. And also, nominate us in the podcast awards at podcastawards.com in both the best male-hosted podcast and best entertainment podcast categories. You can nominate us until July 31st. We'll be back next Monday with another adventure of Sam Spade. But join us back here for Mr. Chameleon where... It doesn't look like the motive was robbery. No. Mr. Chameleon, I just can't believe it. Sybil murdered. It's horrible. Yes, Miss Lucy. Uh, You say that you are the murdered woman's sister. Yes. Sybil was all I had in the world. Now, dear heaven, what am I going to do? Well, first you must try to compose yourself, Lucy. Now, tell me exactly what happened. Mr. Chameleon, could we open the window? I... I feel as if I were going to be ill. Yes. Uh, Dave, open one of the windows, please. Right away, Mr. Chameleon. Yes, that smell of fresh paint in this apartment is rather oppressive. All the apartments in this building are being repainted. They finished work on this one only yesterday. Now, Lucy, tell me when and how you discovered your sister Sybil's body. I... I left the apartment around 9 o'clock to go shopping. When I came back an hour later... I found Sybil lying there by the desk, shot to death. You lived here with your sister? Yes, Mr. Chameleon. Alone? Yes, why? Would you mind removing that heavy veil that you're wearing? Yes, I'll remove my veil. Look at me. Look at me. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm sorry that I asked you to do that, Lucy. I've looked this way for over a year. I got these dreadful scars in an automobile accident. The doctors say they can't do anything for me. I'll go through life this way. I asked you, Lucy, because I wondered why a young girl like you should be wearing a heavy veil. If it hadn't been for Sybil, I don't know what I would have done. She was so kind to me. And now he's murdered her. He? Lucy, do you mean that you know who the murderer is? I hope you'll be with us then. In the meantime, do send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and check us out on Instagram, instagram.com slash greatdetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.